Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control of the airwaves and you let us know what's on your mind. And tonight, it's Wayne with you, and Michelle will be here shortly. And we've got so much to talk about this evening that I thought that we would start out the evening maybe talking about some of the things that happened in the last month since Michelle and I last met. And love to hear your opinions on some of these things, but when Michelle gets here, I will definitely bring them up with her. But to start out here, you know, there's an interesting story from a while back where Alan Greenspan actually admits to a big Ponzi scheme. And the article is from the, the Coming Depression blog, and it starts like this. He says, I remember watching Alan Greenspan testify to the Senate Banking Committee in 2005, and my mouth hit the floor when I heard it. And I, I share this myself, too, because I remember seeing this as well. I've been looking uh, uh, f- of this clip for years and could never find it. A, f- a friend finally sent it to me, and I posted it to my YouTube channel. And below, it's below this article that he mentions. I was just starting my awakening process in 2005, and this was one of those thunderbolts that really sped up my awareness. Senator Reid asked the sitting Federal Reserve Chairman, Alan Greenspan, if he still believed that we should remain, uh, maintain the fundamental principles of Social Security. Quote, I believe that we should maintain the principles of Social Security, but I think the existing structure is not working. Until we construct a system that creates the savings that are created, required to build the real assets so that retirees have real goods and services, we don't have a system that is working. We have one that is basically moves cash around, and we can guarantee cash benefits as far out as whatever size you like, but we cannot guarantee their purchasing power. Now, I've mentioned this quote before on Free Talk Live, and uh, it's very important to think about because th- this, is, this is a tip, tip, ticking time bomb, especially for some of our elderly people in this country who are relying on this now because they've been incentivized not to save, They've been incentivized to be dependent on Social Security. You hear people talk about it all the time when they're going to start collecting Social Security, as if that's the thing that's going to save them and keep them uh, comfortably um, uh, living for the rest of their lives. So I'm very deeply disturbed about this, and I hope that somebody with some sanity can uh, recover these people and at least uh, allow them to... um, you know, survive and, and live a decent life. Michelle, I was just talking about Social Security. Michelle's here. Hi, Hi Michelle. Hi. Hi. And uh, I got into I got into a little bit about the Social Security problem because Alan Greenspan had mentioned a few years back that he couldn't guarantee the purchasing power of of the money that they're paying out to people. And he said that before the Senate in 2005, which to me, was pretty enlightening at the time. When he said it, my jaw dropped. As in this writer, there's a blog called The Coming Depression, and he, he wrote an article about a week ago called Alan Greenspan Admits to Big Ponzi Scheme. And How thoughtful of him. Yeah, admitting it. And he was, he, at the time, he was the Fed chairman. And he, but he, was, he was correct. He was telling the truth, but, but it was kind of uncharacteristic of him because normally he speaks in Fed speak, and he was very, very good at... Um, after supporting the gold standard, though, for years and being, you know, associated with Ann Rand and the... Uh, and the know, paper he wrote back in 66. Correct. Yeah. So he's kind of flip-flopped around a bit. 
He has. Mm-hmm. And he actually says he, he still, when they questioned him about that book that he wrote back in 66 about gold and economic freedom, he actually said that he still stood behind every word in that. So he kind of plays out, out of both sides of his mouth exactly. a bit. And one, one side of his mouth is the central banker side. The other side is that whatever left, whatever's left of him on the libertarian side, which... Um, it's a little schizophrenic, if you ask me. Yeah, and you know, I actually heard a rumor. Um, just some people were hypothesizing that possibly what he was doing was in knowing where the economy was going and the condition of things and and the apathy of of the American people. I suppose that um, the decisions he made were for the purpose of causing the economy to tank more rapidly. I have nothing to substantiate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even, you know, I don't know if it was called a conspiracy, you know, theory that uh, people thought that, but certainly um, uh, it might rational justify why he was flip-flopping. I don't know what else to say about, you know. Well, I, yeah, maybe, maybe there's still a part of him that has a conscience, but to be a central bank all, all those years and inflate and do the things he's done shows uh, some real incongruent, maybe even sociopathic behavior, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of the big bubbles that have been blown up since he, he be, he's been fed chairman, the, the dot-com bubble in the, yep. in the 90s and then the real estate real bubble, estate bubble right. were his babies. Yep. People always, they, they want to attack part, in a partisan way, they want to attack the president or whatever, whatever party is in office, but monetary policy is set by the Fed. Sure, and the banking policy, and he certainly was influential in the um, the the loaning of uh, the um, subprime loan that, that created the bubble in the first place with the real estate market. And back around 1998, he was responsible for bailing out long-term capital management, which was a big hedge fund that had a lot of uh, hooks into foreign countries and the Russian economy and so on. And he bailed them out because I guess that would have really brought down the banking system somewhat back then even. And we believe that, that when when firms or organizations don't do a good job and, and they, they should go in chapter 11. They ought 11. to be allowed to fail, absolutely. They should, yeah, they should be able to fail no matter how big they are. And the reason why they've gotten so big in the first place, though, is because of the system we're in. And failure is paramount to just the human condition. You know, we fail. We're mm-hmm. imperfect. But um, if, you do not, uh, if you do not have the opportunity to fail, you can't have an opportunity to learn from your mistake. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Well, well, I think if you're talking about real free market, decentralized, free enterprise type capitalism, you, you know, what keeps greed in check is risk and competition. Absolutely. And if there's no risk and no competition, the greed is unlimited. And that's what we have today because we have this crony system, corporatist, uh, cartelized economy, which, and you can tell all the different industries that are highly cartelized because... The prices keep going up, the quality keeps going down, whether it's education or healthcare, energy, you name it. The more cartelized an industry, the worse it is on consumers. And the interesting thing is greed has been the the one word that I've heard most recently, uh, repeatedly, uh, being the cause for the condition that uh, the United States economy is in, but it's in the context of uh, people who have money mm-hmm. are greedy. Right. That's how it's, well, that becomes a left versus right. It keeps everybody fighting amongst themselves, right. which is perfectly what the people in power want. Exactly. But greed, you know, but sometimes people mistake the word greed for an honest desire to get ahead in life. 
And ambition. And sure. ambition. And, and that's okay. And I it think used that, to be the American dream. Yeah, it was the American dream. And I, I don't personally think there's anything wrong with getting wealthy. If you've created value for your customers and you've done a good job and you haven't been dishonest and, and shady and you've made money that way. But I don't respect people who have made a lot of money through their political connections, for example, right. where, where they're getting, their company might be getting a lot of business favors. Be, because of favors, et cetera. And, and there's billionaires, there's people who've made fortunes, billions off of political connections as opposed to doing a good job in the marketplace and letting consumers decide who is the best. Like Donald Trump. <laughs> like Donald Trump. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that he, um, he's a really good salesman and... I really like his show Celebrity Apprentice, quite frankly. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I do. I like, but the, the, what's great about that show is it's based upon competition. Sure. You know, and so um, uh, the, to go back to the whole issue of greed and everything and, and keeping the, the people arguing amongst themselves and everything, it's kind of difficult to get out of that conversation with people and that argument um, with those that are proposing that it's greed that has got us here by turning around saying, well, no, it's greed that needs to get us out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Depending on how you see the problem with the word greed, though, is it's gotten a bad name. It's, it's, it's a pejorative. So I think we have to use a different word. Kind of like anarchy. People yeah. associate it with violence. Yeah, when it really isn't. Mm-hmm. But, but see, and again, I think that in markets, as you know, being a trader, that, that markets are, are driven by greed and fear. Mm-hmm. And, and well, so. Well, I would say hope and fear, actually. Well, hope yeah. too, to some degree. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. The number is 603-435-1105. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live where you take control of the airwaves and let us know what's on your mind. And you can talk with us about anything you like. Give us a call at the special Sunday night edition number, which is 603-435-1105. With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle and I were talking about greed before we were so rudely interrupted by the, <laughs> by the bumper music. And Michelle, yes, this word, Wayne. this greed thing, Yes, you know, I think that the movie Wall Street back in the 80s kind of gave greed, the word greed, a bad name as well. And again, I think that there's some distinctions in our language. And, and I would probably say that the best definition of greed would be some sort of unbridled desire to make more money. Maybe, you know, maybe what Gerald Salente calls a money junkie, somebody who just can't ever get enough. You know, if, if that's the okay, definition, that's sure, fine. Sure. So greed, you know, if we were going to use that according to the, you know, the seven deadly sins that it is, um, you know, not, I don't know that I'd use the word unchecked, but rather um, just as you were saying, it's just never enough and you can't be satiated. And so it becomes, you know, you're willing to uh, have the ends justify the means and, and um, use people and, and at the expense you know, at your expense at their expense. Yeah, so step on people, ahead. right? Yeah. And so, you know, okay. I so if that's the definition, then no, I am not in favor of greed. I am definitely though in favor of competition and having the best product be allowed to you know rise to the top. And and the only way to do that in a free market is by, as we were saying earlier, having things fail. And Ron Paul, you know, uh, during the uh, last election kept being questioned about his position on the economy and 
was accused of, of wanting to see the American economy fail. And he objected to that saying, no, it's going to fail. I just as soon have it fail sooner than later because it's going to be worse. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of equated that to, you know, someone with cancer or gangrene. You know, are you going to, if your leg is gangrenous and you, you cannot possibly save the leg, cut off the leg to save the rest of the body, you know, and um, I don't know that that's a perfect analogy. It's, but, pretty, um, it's pretty close, Michelle, and I agree with you on that because every time, and then, of course, after the election, they had the bailouts. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think they, Did, there, they started there were some during, bailouts before mm-hmm. there, yes. And then they had another set of bailouts, which bailed the out tarp the, the, and all that. Mm-hmm. the too big to fail, so to speak. And, and, and of course, all these banks are still insolvent. They still have bad loans on their books that aren't being marked to market. The ones that, you know, mom and pop put their money in and they're, they're federally insured. <laughs> they're well, savings. Well, those, right. those are savings accounts, but I'm talking about mortgages that, yes. that a lot of these big banks are holding right now. And they're not marking them to market price. So they're still actually on the books at the full value before the real estate bubble popped. Right. So in reality, these big, too big to fails are insolvent now, mm-hmm. and they're being propped up by the Fed. And, and that, that can work for a little while. The charade can go on for a little while. But the, the, the problem, of course, is, is that they're not really making money, and they're not really solvent. And, and all the funny money in the world is not going to fix that. You know, I try to talk, have these conversations, like with my mom, who's 73, and she had her income was $19,000 when we were growing up. Can you believe? I mean, I can't even imagine. And that was a lot of money back in the old days. It wasn't really a lot, (laughs) but I mean, it was certainly, she supported three children with that money. And, you know, we got our two pairs of shoes a year and I mean, you know, whatever. And, um, but she was able to buy a house and um, a three bedroom, two bath house. And uh, it was paid for. She paid it off. And, you know, a few years ago, she got talked into doing a reverse mortgage. And, you know, and, and um, so that was along the time of the all these um, bailouts and things. And so her loan and the interest and everything was set at what the value of her house was then. The value of her house is half of what it was then. And, you know, I think all of these people, I and... and She's she's always been really uh, financially responsible and, and everything. And so I don't really worry too much about her. But I think about all the people who 10 years ago when, you know, I, when I was trying to be really frugal and things and, and my kids saw their friends, parents, you know, getting new kitchens and going on these vacations and buying boats, you know, and and uh, and they were all doing it by um, borrowing money, borrowing money against their homes so now these same people are upside down on their homes. Some of them have lost their homes, and they were so close to paying them off. That's a you shame. Know, it's, yeah, it's very sad. And uh, so who's going to pick that up? Now, if, it were, if the banks were allowed to fail as, or, and, the, and the real estate bubble was allowed to pop. Quickly. Exactly. Um, then some of these people who, would, who have been saving money um, would be allowed to to come in and buy them at their at their newly appraised value, and they would hire carpenters and construction workers and replace windows, et cetera, and actually do something that does uh, does help the economy, you know, and and does provide jobs. Instead, we're looking more and more like 
we're going to have to be, um, you know, implementing, not we, I shouldn't say we, but what will be implemented is like the FDR, you know, people's workers um, sort of uh, government um, project, you know. Well, there's 46 million people at least now on food stamps, which is an all-time high, and that's been going up steadily. And that's a real true measurement, I think, of what how much misery people are going through. The unemployment rate doesn't tell you anything anymore. It's, it's mm-hmm. so doctored and bastardized. That's like 15% of the... It depends. Population. I mean, some people are actually... Uh, John Williams' of shadow stats, when you pretty much, if you were to compare unemployment today versus the 30s, we're up around over 22%. Wow. Which is, which is pretty high. Yeah. And, beca- and you have a lot of people who have stopped are looking for jobs. Too. Or they're you, underemployed yeah. or they stop looking and, mm-hmm. and they drop off the rolls. Mm-hmm. And that's a big problem. And then getting back to real estate, you know, you have these realtors who are still gung-ho on real estate, although a lot of... of are there are, any realtors yeah, that are still gung-ho? I know, I know a few. <laughs> oh, wow. I know a few in Florida. They're saying, oh, now's the time to buy. Oh. And, and, I, and I, I have, I'm always the one who has to be the party pooper and tell right. them, you know, there's about over 18 million empty homes right now that are not even on the market yet mm-hmm. because they, they're either in the process of foreclosure or the homeowner is squatting and not leaving and they're not paying their mortgage. It's a huge, huge mess. I've watched this, this uh, real estate mania and then subsequent failure move west. You know, in, in California, I sold a home in an area called Rancho Santa Fe back in uh, 2001, I believe mm-hmm. it was. So um, at the time, what had happened was the dot-com, dot-comers had made all this money that was just, uh, I say ridiculous in that it wasn't actually real, Yeah, you know? it wasn't based on real value. It exactly. was bubble. And there was uh, a neighbor of mine, and they had a very nice home, um, but at the end of their driveway was a call box. So, you know, and it had big metal gates and everything. So you had to call the call box to ring the house and then they would open up the gates. Well, everyone that knew Jennifer knew that the call box didn't work. So what she had to do is you'd go to the end of her driveway and you'd get out and you'd open up her gate and then you'd go in and then you'd close the gate because there were horses that could possibly, you know, get out if someone had left the other fence open and everything. And um, I can't wait to tell you what uh, she was offered for her home and, and subsequently what happened to that. I've got to wait till after, don't I? Yeah, you okay, do. Okay, well, we'll be right back. It's a carrot dangling for Give you. us a call, <laughs> 603-435-1105. love to hear from you. And make sure you know your calling plan so you don't get hit with any toll charges. You're so thoughtful. I try to be, <laughs> Michelle. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control and let us know what's on your mind. Don't forget to check out our website at freetalklive.com. We've got, we've got the message board. We've got the Shrine of Female Listeners. We've got everything you can imagine, all for free. And we also have shop.freetalklive, where you can get great prices on goods from Amazon.com and Newegg, etc., etc. I haven't checked in a few weeks, so... Ian may have added some new ones to that, but it's a great way to help Free Talk Live and not have to pay anything extra, but get some great deals. I I like both Amazon.com and Newegg for computer parts and different components and software. They've got the best price on QuickBooks for Mac right now. (laughs) You're trying to get me into one of those. Well, hey, if you want to, they're they're, they're terrific machines. This one I'm sitting here right in front of me is five years old, still running strong. 
Wow. And the, the, my previous one is still used by... My HP died. Yeah, your HP died? <laughs> my HP died. What died on it? Um, well, the motherboard crashed, has crashed twice in three years. And, you know, so now it's just, um, I have to, you know, turn, try turning it on three or four times before it'll get online. And it's just, oh boy. Yeah. Not good. So I'm going to get a new computer. Well, you can get your data off it and yes, we can help you out getting, getting everything moved over. But Michelle, we were just discussing the real estate bubble. and I all dangled the, a carrot. You dangle the carrot. So why don't you tell I us did. about... Okay, the, so my girlfriend Jennifer, uh, she ha- this is a town called Rancho Santa Fe, which at the time, I don't know if it still is, was considered the wealthiest um, community in the United States. And um, she had this call box at the end of her driveway, and all of her friends knew to uh, just go ahead and go into the gate because the call box didn't work. So um, on this one occasion when these you know people happened upon her property and were at the bottom of the gate trying to ring her at the call box and and uh, she wasn't answering that was because it in fact did not ring the house so I don't remember if it was like a housekeeper or a delivery man of some sort but they came up and and went through the gate and drove up and closed the gate behind them and let Jennifer know hey there's some people down there so she walked on down and said may I help you and they said we'd like to buy your house and she said, I'm sorry, you have the wrong house. Now, these properties are anywhere between three acres and, you know, 300 acres. They're, it's not like, you know, you you travel around and, and you can see all of them from the, a road or something like that. And um, so in order for them to have seen her house, they had to have, like, been standing on something. And they had to have done some, some recog- you know, uh, reconnaissance. Reconnaissance? reconnaissance. Yes, Maybe they had a helicopter. Something. <laughs> and... Um, she said, I'm sorry, you must have the wrong house. My house isn't for sale. And they said, we've seen it and we just love it and we want it. And she said, did you, okay, it's my house isn't for sale. They said, we will pay you twice of the appra- whatever the appraised value is. And she said, excuse me? And they said, yes, we'll pay you twice the value. So it was appraised for $2 million. And she brought them up to the house. They looked at the furniture and said, oh my gosh, she was very, she was very crafty. And so she'd done some some neat craft things with furniture. And they hadn't seen that from the helicopters. Correct. They only saw the outside and they Correct. liked it. And um, so they went ahead and paid $4 million for this $2 million house. And they paid her an extra $200,000 to be out within a month and, and take the furniture. All they took was the food in their house and their clothing. And they were out of there. And um, the funny thing is about that property, and this is this goes back to, you know, buyer beware and also what happens when you come by your money easily and you don't exercise prudent decision making. Um, what they didn't realize is that when Jennifer had done the house, they had put the barn and, and you'll understand this, and the stables on the wrong side of the house. So when the Santa Ana winds blew which the Santa Ana's, if, you, if people don't know, are these heavy winds that Southern California gets in the fall. And they're very warm winds. But um, when the Santa Ana's blow, it blows all of the stench from Manua. the horses up to the house. There's Ooh. no escaping it. Right, right. So for a couple of weeks, your house smells like manure. Horse manure. Yeah, exactly. And I so, smelled that before. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not one, good. It's one thing that you know if you if you're out mucking stalls and you smell that, but it's another thing if you're cooking dinner. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you're you probably lose some smelling. weight, right? <laughs> you won't want to eat. And you know they, that was a, a 
problem with their house that they had that they were aware of, you know, but that was their own mistake. And so they had learned to live around it. But it was not something that needed to be disclosed. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, like unlike like a death or something that if that had occurred in the home. So in any case, those people bought the house. Jennifer and her kids were out of there. They went and bought a place for cash down in Del Mar at the beach. And they were stoked to be, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But um, those people ended up, that house ended up going into foreclosure. And this is a community where there were no foreclosures. So they had a mortgage then? They bought it and took out a mortgage on it? Yes, even though they didn't have, because that's when the real estate, they had gone from .com. Now they were going to go into doing real estate deals where they could, you know, hold on to their money and and invest in everything. And they were going to be real estate tycoons at this point. The people who bought her house. Yeah. Yeah. And so why would they offer (laughs) twice the value and still had... A mortgage? That's, that's, that's in, I don't even understand. Insane. No, not at all. And um, so they had the money, but they didn't want to use their money for that, thinking mm-hmm. that they could leverage. And that leverage, you know, is uh, something that um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. uh, Richard I, Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki. I have a hard time. Thank you for that pronunciation. Um, he has some really sound, um, you know, uh, Principles. Principles, yeah. And he has a game called, you know, it's based on the rat race, what he calls the rat race. And and I think that it's really helpful for people. And um, But the idea of leveraging uh, and flipping houses and things like that has really got people into a mess. Deep and trouble. a lot, and what I think is the basis of all of that is an attitude of entitlement. I think an attitude of entitlement, whether it's in myself or anyone else, that has been the root of every character problem and money problem that I've ever seen with people, you know? And so when they say that, um, it's not that money is the root of all evil, it's the love of money. And I, and I tend to think of that as like an attitude of entitlement back in, what was it? The, um, I believe up until the like fifties, the majority of people in the United States rented, they didn't even own their own home. And the average home around 1950 was 1200 square feet. And today (laughs) it's about 2,500 square feet. Wow. So people used to live in these little houses. In fact, I went to my mom's old ho- hometown when I was a kid. My mom and dad, I stayed with my grandparents sometimes. And the town that they lived in was you know, kind of an industrial, mm-hmm. uh, middle-class town. And I drove through the neighborhood and, and looked at my grandfather's old house that I spent a lot of time as, with a, as a kid. And he bought it probably 1950, early 50s. And it had one car garage. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a brick, brick, kind of a ranch cape. You know, you could have made the second floor into, into another bedroom. Sure. So it was like a low-rise cape. It didn't have a knee wall. Mm-hmm. But it was, so it was a ranch slash cape. Little house. I mean, probably two bedrooms on the first level and then one possible one upstairs. And that's what, how people live. They didn't have these huge houses with family room and a living room and a, and a, and a huge uh, kitchen. and A kitchen, breakfast nook, as well as a dining room, et cetera. And, um, and then a little small plot of land in the backyard and everyone had a garden. Yes. My grandfather had four huge gardens in the backyard because mm-hmm. he's Italian from Italy. Mm-hmm. Got to grow your tomatoes so, and your garlic. Yep. And then he had along this stone wall, he had strawberries and, and wow. raspberries. And, mm-hmm. and he, he always had great gardens uh, growing up. So we always had a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. Delicious. Except the growing season's too short in New England, really, uh, oh, for my taste. Oh, this was Connecticut? Yeah, this was Connecticut, so it was a little better than here, but mm-hmm. still, it was northern Connecticut, mm-hmm. which got a lot more snow than the shoreline does. And there's, I still see pictures sometimes when I go to my mom's house of the snow was high like here or there, because he lived up in uh, near Hartford. Mm-hmm. 
and the snow was piled up, you know, five feet, six feet high by the by the by wow. the driveway, like it is here in the winter. So it wasn't that much different from here. Yeah, it's like a four month growing season, really. Yeah, and, and now now there's a lot of people actually that, speaking of growing seasons, they're doing this new type of of uh, growing where. Elliot Coleman, a writer out of Maine, has developed it. It's a way to grow year-round in, in northern New England. So in Maine, he does it, and he uses a, a, a greenhouse with no heating. Mm. What they do is they do a, a greenhouse within a greenhouse. Are they using... So do they implement solar panels? No, not at all. Wow. Yeah, they, they do it with coal frames inside the greenhouse, oh, and they're able to grow things year-round, even in the coldest days and nights. And that's Elliot what? Elliot Coleman. Hmm. And you can find his books online at Amazon.com. Very interesting. I'm helping a friend put one up right now. Right on. Yeah, we'll be right back. Free Talk Live. And it looks like we have a call. 603-435-1105. Call us. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you can take control of the airwaves and let us know what's on your mind. The number tonight is 603-435-1105. That's the special Sunday night edition number. And make sure you know your calling plan because we don't want you getting socked with charges that some of these phone companies like to hit you with if you don't have the proper long distance plan. And with you today is Wayne. And Michelle. And we were just conversing because we haven't seen each other in a while and there's been a lot that's happened in the last month of course too and we were talking a little bit about growing your own food and greenhouses and some of the methods people use up here to grow but on the line we've got a vince from indianapolis so let's say hi to vince hello Hello, you're on free talk live hello dwight michelle how are you fine folks doing this evening we're doing just fine where it's a beautiful day today and the whole weekend and and we're just uh Loving life here. This is the time of year we live for. I like this time of year, but uh, I wanted to mention something to you because on June the 2nd, I mean, this is totally different from what you've been talking about. That's okay. uh, No problem. We'll get back (laughs) to it if we have to. won a a bankruptcy court decision to keep $69 million from from the employees of uh, Home Savings of America. And uh, what the, the bankruptcy judge in Wilmington, Delaware, I don't know why they filed the bankruptcy in Wilmington, Delaware, when they could have probably filed it out in Seattle, Washington. But uh, mm. they, Maybe uh, there's a Delaware corporation involved. Yeah, I think uh, Washington Mutual is a Delaware corporation. So There you go. But, they, but uh, the judge said that uh, Washington Mutual raided this pension fund their executives before they went into bankruptcy and before the federal regulators took them over. And, uh, you know, they were also, uh, the company that took them over was Chase Manhattan or Chase whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever the name is. But they were the recipients of a large, large ass in 2008 of TARP funds. Yes. And Huge. now they get $69 million of about two or 300 employees from this Home Savings of America, which was just a small bank, a small savings bank. And uh, as of uh, January 1st of this year, all those pension funds are, the, are, what they say, are being held up. They can't distribute them. So are they saying that it's insolvent, or are they saying that, and that people are not actually going to ever receive the money, or are they saying that there's all a delay? 
the bankruptcy judge said that these people were lied to and misled and uh, that they could not establish proper ownership of those funds with Home Savings of America. Oh, my gosh. And uh, the chief executive of Washington Mutual, and there was about four or five other people, they got, uh, I think, uh, about $7 million, but they basically raided that entire fund. And they have two other banks, according to the Wall Street Journal and the I subscribe to that on the online Dow Jones. Mm-hmm. That there, uh, there's a, two other similar cases where we're going to get to keep about anywhere from 100, 180 million to 200 million dollars worth of retirement funds. This is pretty common, you know. This is going on in more than one place. This is one example. And even in some countries now, governments are raiding pension funds. And right now, actually, with the debt limit reached a few weeks ago, the federal government is actually raiding the pension funds of federal workers. Yeah, federal workers. And, but, uh, you know, these bankrupt companies, and, I mean, Dow Jones have this uh, thing on bankruptcies, and there's about 1,500 cases involving pension funds being bankrupted. Mm-hmm. You know, the, from the 401ks and the defined pension, pension benefit funds. And, well, some, I mean, it's a long yeah, list. Yeah, some of these funds have been invested in real estate funds as well, real estate investment trusts and so on, mm-hmm. thinking at the time, say, seven, eight years ago, people thought that was a great investment because real estate was going up. So pension funds were in a lot of the wrong stuff. And so even if they didn't get rated, a lot of them aren't worth what they were before because they've been malinvested. Another- oh, yeah, now they're... Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks. The another uh, problem with the um, the four hundred one ks is that people oftentimes are not allowed to have any say in what they're invested in. And what I advised people, um, you know, back several years ago, and then I would advise them again now is, if possible, to have your money from your four hundred one k put into a bear mutual fund. Um, that oh. way, you can, you know, as the market goes down, then you you're you're actually making money on that. And um, so, uh, you know, if, if for those of you that are out there, you better check and see whether or not you have any say so. And, and if not pull your money out and uh, take the, the tax. Yeah. Hit. At the rate of the inf- of inflation. Now you're much wiser to be able to, um, you know, take that money and convert it into hard currency or pay off debt and, you know, make yourself more solvent or, invest in food, you know, those mm. kinds of things that are actually going to sustain you um, in the years to come. I'm part of a farm, I'm part of a farm co-op or a farm buying club too. So we grow our own food. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? We, we, we were just talking about that before you called in Vince about how people are growing their own food and there's a lot of new methods now to grow food, even in colder climates year round. Uh, so that you don't have to be bound by the shorter growing season. But Vince, weren't you? A, aren't you a law student? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were the no, one. I'm, I'm going to get my. Hopefully, I'll have it all completed by next December. Or so. So, in in your study of law right now, what do you think in the in the current say the, this year so far, 2011? What do you think is the most significant case you've seen decided? Well, the one here in Indiana where the <laughs> police. You know, where the Supreme Court of Indiana said that the uh, common law was outmoded and outdated. As if it didn't exist, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, was, that was a pretty pretty significant one. I think you're, I would agree with you on that. Well, that's one I mean, state. I, and I think, wasn't, weren't there some big protests over that in, out in Indiana? Oh, yeah. 
there was a, there was a rally here, I think last week at the state house. Now, how many people re- do you really think attended? Because it seems like the media uh, always underestimates that. I think there's probably about 500 to 800 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty good rally. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah for for Indiana. Yeah. yeah, there was a one group there called the Outlaw Motorcycle Gang, Outlaw uh, the Outlaws of the motor their motorcycle gang, and they've had their battles with the police mm-hmm. over you know their property because they got cameras and they got signs up there. There's one guy tried to climb over the fence, and two German shepherds took care of it. His character. Oh gosh! <laughs> Didn't kill him, but they held him down. <laughs> the, the city wanted them to pay for the, the this guy that climbed over their fence. They wouldn't do it. One of the guys is a lawyer too. So, <laughs> well, we certainly uh, hear our share, have our share of um, police uh, brutality interactions out here in the last uh, in the last week. Uh, we've seen eight. Um, of our activists arrested in Manchester and uh, Dave Ridley, who does the Ridley report was mm-hmm. arrested uh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And um, so what was he arrested for? I'm sorry. I listened to his show. What was he arrested for? For filming. Oh, film. Oh, he was filming. You can, you can catch his, um, his videos on what happened on his, on his site there, but um, uh, we then followed up with a, a protest um, about a week later. So you, that's probably but, on uh, there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would think you know, filming is really a harmless activity. So, but well, you know, and Dave and I had the conversation um, that day. He formerly was in favor. In fact, I believe he actually wrote a bill for New Hampshire regarding filming. And, and um, he has since decided that being involved in the legislative process is is not only impotent, but rather even more harmful simply because, you know, he found out himself that through creating a bill, it actually created more loopholes rather than creating more freedom uh, which was his goal, it actually undermined the, proce- undermined the process. And sometimes the compromise process, that what they call the sausage-making sausage process, ends up making a bad law that was originally intended to be something to create more liberty, ends up being mm-hmm. something that en- ends up just creating a bigger mess. Mm-hmm. So I would tend to agree with him on that. Well, Vince, thank you so much for calling. It's great hearing much. from you uh-huh. again. And we Good will talk have- to you again soon, I hope. All right, you got you 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 guys take care of yourselves. Thanks, Vince. Have a good day. Okay. Bye bye. Well, Michelle, Vince always uh, has some interesting topics. Being a law student and someone who's paying attention to the machinations of government in his area, both at the state level and federally, and you know, it, it's really scary and kind of sad to see these court cases now, where you see the judiciary, which is just completely so. Infiltrated, you might say. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you want to call it. it, it it's really not good, but I think things are going to swing the other way. Oh, you're so optimistic. I am optimistic. And we'll talk more about these topics when we come back. Free Talk Live, Sunday edition, 603 435 1105. Give us a call. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. We're kicking off the second hour with 
our very own Michelle. Hi, Wayne. How are you this evening? I'm doing pretty good. And you can reach us and talk with us and say hello at 603-435-1105. We'd love to hear from you. It's a Sunday night. It's been a beautiful weekend here in New Hampshire. Sunny and, and so nice to so see sunny nice. weather. <laughs> and in the summer, the, the late spring and the summer and the fall here are just absolutely magnificent, Michelle. Have you been swimming in the in any ponds or, or lakes? Last yet? weekend, I went oh. kayaking with my son, and we uh, up at Long Pond, which mm-hmm. is up north of here. And we had our kayaks, and my son kept saying, "You know, this this kayak won't roll." I said, "No, let me let me correct you, son." <laughs> It, it's difficult to roll. And we went out in the lake, and of course, he rolled it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was, it was cold. It was a little shiver for him, but uh-huh. he got over it and got back in. But we really enjoy doing that in the summer up here. The lakes are crystal clear. And the Monadnock region is just so beautiful, and there's so many bodies of water. And I mean, you can't travel, you know, two minutes without seeing a body of water here. It's really nice. It is nice. And, and if you like to go out and paddle on a lake, whether you like to canoe or kayak. I just love kayaks. I just like to glide across the water with my, my kayak. My son's crewing a lot. Is he? So, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to, uh, he's going to teach me how to uh, row in a shell. So, mm-hmm. which a one-man shell is uh, is pretty hard to do. To and keep from yes, tipping. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I'm waiting for the water to just get a little bit warmer where we go <laughs> because I imagine I'm going to be uh, taking a plunge. My dad did that in college. Mm-hmm. He was on the crew at the college he went to in Massachusetts. And I saw a picture of them all. And he was, he, he's about six, maybe six one. Mm-hmm. So he was a complete giant at the time in his era because most of the guys were like five six, five seven back right. then. So if you were six feet, six one, you were a giant. And nowadays, that's, that's the average height for a guy because of all the good nutrition in the, in the last 50 years. And yeah. the kids are getting taller and taller. And I'm sure your kids will be taller than you or your your uh, They're their father. All already taller than me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and their father, mm-hmm. because you fed them well and you've you've raised them well in a good clean environment, and mm-hmm. and they haven't missed any growth spurts, have they? Right. Exercise yeah. and sunshine. And sunshine, yeah. Which it's oh my gosh, this cracks me up. Um, I just happened to see this picture uh, before I came in. Um, we were talking the other night on Friday, Ian, Mark, and I about. The new food standards that have been uh, really mandated from the White House uh, via Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. And it's gone from, you remember when we were kids, it was the four food groups, and it was a rectangle, and then it became a food pyramid, and then it was, you know, a, a change of pyramid, and now it's a plate. Yeah. And with a cup, and the cup, I suppose, is supposed to uh, signify water. So you, you need to get, you know, be hydrated, which, yes. So um, in any event, this just came out last week and um, the the federal guidelines for food. And there is a picture snapped up of um, of uh, Obama um, eating two, putting away two huge hot dogs. I, I saw that. I saw <laughs> like a headline. French said, fries or something. Yeah. There was, I saw a headline. It said something like, Obama sucks down two chili dogs <laughs> while his wife lectures people about, about food. Exactly, you know, and you know that that chili was coming from a can of something or another, and Probably. that hot dog was filled. I doubt it was, you know, uncured organic meats. <laughs> well, when it comes to food, I think we should have choices. And Absolutely. if somebody wants to eat processed food, let them eat it, but they're going to have higher medical bills and don't ask us to pay for it. Correct. And I, I think that we've gotten into this, this mentality. You hear a lot of people say, well, health care is a right. No, it's not a right. It's a service. Mm-hmm. Just like food is a good. 
goods but and people services. Are claiming that food is a, is a right as well. Well, they are. They, they are. You're starting to see. So again, yeah. w- but that what that leads into is, oh, the government needs to watch over it so that we're, we don't all starve to death. When That's right. Government control over food is what causes people to a starve to death. A chicken in every pot. Yes. <laughs> well, in the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, before it became the Soviet Union, was the larger, largest exporter of food in the world, or one of the largest. And then they banned people from growing their own food. And, and, and it, private and they, farming. And they, right. Yeah, and they starved to death. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until they actually allowed people to grow their own food again that they actually had some uh, semblance of, of normalcy in food, again, where people were getting better fed. Mm-hmm. And, and now in Russia, I'm sure they can still do that. I haven't heard anything to the contrary, but it's going the wrong way in this country with food now. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, you talked about your, your grandfather growing food and, and my grandfather was a, an avid farmer. In fact, he, um, had, he suffered from macular degeneration as he got into his nineties. And, and so he was almost, you know, completely blind by the time he passed away a couple of years ago. However, he still had a garden. He still maintained a garden. And, you know, sometimes I, at this point, if you were to ask me about my garden, well, it's a raised bed that's maybe like eight feet by uh, three feet. You know, his family garden was, you know, maybe 100 feet by 50 feet, mm-hmm. you know, and that was for our family. But um, so he was still, you know, gardening and he would pickle and can vegetables. And that was just standard. And they had grown up in the era of the Depression. When, you know, the food scarcity definitely, um, you know, gave them an immediate understanding of the importance of growing your own food. And it's funny how, you know, as the government became more and more involved with feeding people through like the public school systems and, um, uh, you know, providing that as well as. Bread line, soup Making, lines back yeah, then in the Depression, too. No, no, I'm saying post that, you know, oh, as, post, yeah. yeah, post that. So what happened was to my, my mother's generation is they got out of the habit. There was, uh, there was, there was no longer scarcity and um, food became less expensive uh, because they started, you know, cutting corners. And in subsidizing farmers, and too. Subsidizing, absolutely. And so my parents' generation didn't pass on that that skill um, of of growing food, you know, and I remember my grandmother telling me not even mm, six or seven years ago, you know, before she passed away, how important it was that that she pass on the information and the importance of of not only growing food but storing food. Now that leads me to the idea of hoarding. We were talking about greed in the first segment when we opened up, and people who um, you know, keep stored food in their home are being accused of being hoarders. Yeah, I think we talked about that last month yeah. too. There was a story on that on the Mises Institute website mm-hmm. about how they're starting to. You're hearing the language in the media talk about hoarders, yep. which is usually a prelude to some sort of either law being passed to prohibit it or some sort of confiscation. And it's happened many, many times throughout history. It happened during the. 30s with with gold with FDR right where they and people who had gold were being accused of being hoarders mm-hmm. and and nowadays as you see more and more pressure on agricultural prices which you are you're seeing a lot of productive farmland in Japan for example completely useless now mm-hmm. and you're seeing all these weather anomalies which are causing problems with 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 crops you're going to see prices rise you're going to see people starting to be hungry mm-hmm. and you 
you know, people get pretty upset when their bellies are growling. Right. And, you know, um, which leads us kind of full circle back to what we were talking about, price controls and not allowing markets to fail, um, et cetera. Uh, back in, uh, gosh, two years or so ago, there were some bad, um, there was some bad flooding in California and the garlic crops in Gilroy and the lettuce crops and, and, um, things. And as well as the almond production all along everything, basically from Sacramento, um, down, um, which is, you know, all the citrus, et cetera, all your, um, all your vegetables between the. Um, the flooding as well as the the minnow that was protect, protected in the Sacramento Delta. Yeah, go figure, a little minnow, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. But um, So it, it caused the, um, the, there to be a water shortage. So what ought to have happened when all those crops failed is we should have seen a huge rise in prices like a year later because food is often stored in these airtight drums and you know, you're not really, unless you're getting organic food from a, like a farmer's market, you're really eating food that was harvested two years ago or two harvests ago, you know, from the typical grocery store. And we're only now starting to see those food rises, you know, price rises. Mm-hmm. So um, people didn't prepare a year ago when they could have been. That's right. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Give us a jingle and let us know what's on your mind. Free Talk Live, Sunday edition. Welcome back. Welcome to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where your calls take precedence over our conversation. And tonight with you is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle, we've been talking about a wide range of topics. But, you know, I've been meaning to ask you about some of the things that have occurred in the last month, from the Arnold Schwarzenegger love child (laughs) situation to the head of the IMF raping Mm -hmm. that that, uh, maid, Mm -hmm. the chambermaid in New York, there's, and then the tornadoes. Yes. And what would you like to tackle first? I mean, it seems like things just keep keep getting crazier every every month. Uh huh. Well, you know, you know that I was a, a pedicab driver in in Waikiki. I knew back that. in the day, right? I think I saw you once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was another redhead and I, and we used to sometimes be hired together. To, you know, like if there were um, a few people that wanted to go around or whatever, you know, the guys would get off the ships and, and, and they were really great. They, I, I never, um, except for once was, um, asked to, you know, have sex with anybody or anything like that. Mostly it was, you know, some, some guys who just come in from the, uh, Navy ship and they wanted someone to go around with them and like go dance and go Mm -hmm. have a cocktail or something. So um, uh, George and I would go around and, and take people like on a, on like a tour of all the fun bars and they'd have like a, a pretty girl to hang out with for the night. And it was fun. And, um, Indeed. and, uh, Arnold, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, showed was up over there and, uh, he did not make a request of me personally, but according to Georgia sent a message via one of his men that, mm. that to request the two of us. And I declined, and um, 
I, I understand that she went up to his room and she was very surprised at what she saw and did not follow through with anything. But um, surprised what he saw. She saw. Yeah. What did he have? A little. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there are some consequences to using steroids. Yeah, I, w- I would have to say so. I knew guys at the gym way back when, when I was a gym rat, who did steroids and. And these were young guys in their twenties, and they had some of them broke out in rashes. Some of them had liver problems. Yeah. Some of them uh, got real aggressive and yeah. go. They had roid rage. I had a guy one time. I said something to him. You know, I'm kind of a wise guy, and mm-hmm. I said something to him just in fun, and he just looked at me, and he, he came right at me, and I moved out of the way. He went right through <gasps> the wall, right through wow. the sheetrock, through two layers of sheetrock in, into the locker room. Wow. And wow, wow. So there's a, there's a lot of strange stuff around erectile dysfunction. I hear too. Well. That, it's not good to start rumors like that, Michelle. No, no, no. But, but I'm it, not. No, I'm not saying that about anyone. I'm saying uh, that that I've heard is one of the problems with. Oh, oh, I with, see. With steroid use, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because it throws off your hormones. I mean, right. for your body to function properly, your hormones have to be in balance. And as a man, I mean, I cannot imagine if someone were to tell me that erectile dysfunction is is a possible side effect of anything. I would be as far away from whatever that product was. As I could be. Oh, definitely. But you know what? I think for him, you know, Arnold at the time oh, being so this bodybuilder. Okay. Well, no, no. If we talk, <laughs> if we want to talk about Arnold now, yeah. or anybody who does steroids, for that matter, they do them because they feel bigger and stronger, and that's their identity is is to be this big muscular person, and so their identity takes over, and 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 their common sense, right, and and. What happens, of course, is they get they get really big and muscular and strong, but then they become addicted because when you go off them, you you get you get small and your pecs shrink, oh. and and they can't handle that shrinkage. Yeah, shrinkage exactly. <laughs> and and you see that with football players too. Yeah, football players go off the roids, and and so they, I, I've watched the guys over the years. They'd cycle on and off and on and off. And some say there's no evidence that roid range exists, but I've seen it myself. I saw it in my two year old son when he was given steroids in the hospital because he had um, he had a severe uh, pneumonia when he was two years old, and mm-hmm. so they gave him steroids in order to open up his lungs and things and. Um, and were they, they probably weren't anabolic steroids, though, were they? I don't remember. I mean, gosh, that was such a long time ago. But he became t- so violent, they had to put him in a metal cage. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. terrible. So, um, and even uh, using inhalers and mm-hmm. things like that, um, it, you know, amps you up. Well, well, obviously, Arnold didn't have any too much trouble since he did knock up the uh, housekeeper. And have now, a ch- is this, is this ver- has this been verified? Yes, it has. I believe it has. I believe it has. That's that's been the story, and allegedly he admitted it to his wife after he left office as governor. Oh, and mm-hmm. I think he's probably been weaving a tangled web for many years, and this is just probably the most egregious thing that that couldn't he couldn't hold a lid on any longer. Well, you know, this goes to what I was saying earlier about the attitude of entitlement that mm-hmm. is so prevalent. Yeah. You know, in, in, I don't know if it's, you know, widespread throughout the world and it's just, a, you know, an epidemic within, you know, civilization now or it's a United States thing or whatever. But here's someone who came over from Austria and, you know, was it was a self-made man and came over here with really nothing and created his persona and, you know, much like Madonna, mm-hmm. you know, and and I applaud that. And I think I'll have to tell awesome. you about the time I auditioned for Madonna sometime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's going to come soon. <laughs> but but Arnold, but Arnold is an interesting uh, example of uh, of somebody who comes over as an immigrant with nothing. You're right, and and, and becomes successful. But beautiful er- family married into a really um, you know politically 
connected family and wanted to get involved in politics. And he was at the top of his game with the um, movie industry and, uh, you know, had has four beautiful children. And what, that wasn't enough? Well, Can you, you, know, you ever pe- tell yourself no? People say that to Michelle, but, you know, I think that he, he's got a lot going on. And what happens, I think, is a lot of people become addicted to excitement, to um, adventure, to things outside of, of the family life. And, and I try to put myself in everybody's shoes, even DSK, the guy, the guy from the IMF. You know, you try to put yourself in their shoes. You try to read about what they're all about. And I think that when people become powerful... They start to have this this sense of entitlement where they can just aggress against others uh, with impunity without any, and they feel they're above the law, and that that's the problem I have. Well, with Well, did this. he aggress against someone else? Was he? Did he? I don't know if he defrauded uh, Maria, if you would call it that, because he, you know, didn't hold true to his vows of mm-hmm. of marriage or whatever. But the well, fact is, he had he had looks, he had wealth, he had fame, he had health, he had a family. <clears throat> pardon me, he had a family. He had um, he'd had three full careers yeah. between his bodybuilding. bodybuilding, his acting, and his political career, which is over now. <laughs> yes, um, and and the fact that that wasn't enough that he had to gain you know extra excitement at the expense of of his wife, you know, and his his other four children, and he's you know I'm not going to say that he has destroyed that family because. People are, res- people are resilient yeah. and everything, but I mean, you know, I had my own husband left um, and, you know, whether it was that he left me because I'm such a whatever or the, <laughs> fact, the fact is, yeah, the fact uh, is he also left his three children yeah. and um, they've had, you know, little or no contact with him over 10 years. And that has certainly affected my kids, you know, and you think at what point do you tell yourself you know, and for him, he wanted to go be a race car driver and hang out with Val Kilmer. Oh, woo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and have a, and marry someone who didn't give him a hard time. And, uh, somebody she, who didn't mirror him and tell him the truth. And, yeah. And, uh, she left him after she got the money and, and she then had a baby with someone else. So, oh boy. Oopsie. Well, we'll, we'll get back to this in a minute. Retalk Live Sunday Edition. We're gossiping now. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's turning into a gossip show. 603-435-1105. Call us and let us know what's on your mind. Maybe gossip, shall I say? I dare say. We'll be back. Welcome back the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live where you take control and run the show if you like for a little while. Save us from the gossip. Save us from the gossip, exactly. Wayne's trying to get me to gossip. (laughs) 603-435-1105 and well, we were talking a little bit about certain things that have happened and well, we got into Arnold a little bit but also Mm -hmm. there's also the 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 former IMF chief now who Mm -hmm. uh, was arrested and hauled off an airplane for allegedly raping a, a chambermaid at the hotel he was staying in. And I found it kind of peculiar, Michelle, because usually those people are kind of above the law, you know, when you're in that kind of a position. And mm-hmm. I wondered why they would actually go after him. And I don't know, he may have diplomatic immunity that, you know, I, I, those people usually have some sort of diplomatic immunity as well. And, and Or I'm wondering, the chambermaid, you know, uh, goes into the... Uh, 
Chappaquiddick River or whatever it was called, you know, and and uh, and dies. Well, these things happen, though. I mean, these things I've I've heard of these things happening for some time with powerful people, and nothing ever happened. So. When something like this happens, I can't help but to think there could be some sort of a turf war going on. And he's being set up. He's being set up. Maybe It doesn't mean he didn't do it. It, it means that they prosecuted him. They knew maybe that he had a propensity for that because right. there have been a lot of stories since this has come out that this is very, the IMF very, is a hotbed. God, you're going with the godfather. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> when they took the senator from, from Nevada and, and set him up with the drugs and the prostitute? Yes. And Godfather too. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. But like I said, some of these people have a propensity to do it, but they get away with it. And so if you're a rival in another faction of, of halls of power in the IMF, let's say, for example, you could make sure that, uh, you know, when he goes to New York and does this, that he's caught, he's caught and, mm-hmm. and you've got connections. And I'm, I'm just I'm just uh, uh, speculating a little bit here, but I just found it kind of peculiar that somebody that powerful, that high up would actually be arrested for something like that. But regardless of, of, you know, the consequences, the root to me is is this idea of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, the other night when Ian and Mark and I were doing the show, someone called in, this gentleman by the name of AJ called in, and he was really concerned that if we didn't have traffic lights and we didn't have stop signs, that it was just going to be bumper cars and there were going <laughs> to be crashes everywhere. And, you know, Ian and I made the point to him that anarchy is has really gotten a bum, you know, bum rap and that what we um, propose is self-government and personal responsibility. And, you know, what I think everything comes down to is the word no. And first of all, can I, um, or I should say second of all, I ought to be able to tell someone no without fear of having my property or my being in somehow threatened, be somehow threatened. But the first rule of that is self-government. I have to be able to tell myself no. You have to, in order to not be obese, you have to tell yourself no to that second piece of chocolate cake Mm, in order to tell, in order to maintain that family and create that legacy that you really want you have to be able to tell yourself no to adultery etc assuming that that you have made a commitment to be in a monogamous relationship and you've entered into that contract you know and the whole idea of will people change or i'm hungry or i'm depressed or, or i'm horny <laughs> yeah, well yeah so yeah, but that's what happens to yeah. a lot of powerful men is that's so, one way women? they get yeah no, no actually more women are unfaithful today in uh, marriage to the United States than men. Wow, didn't know that. Yep, and so so this idea that that you're entitled to please yourself in every whim, um, w- without there being consequences. Of course, there are going to be consequences, but you know, what about delayed gratification? You tell yourself no so that you have you you have the the ability to have this greater goal in mind. And that requires having a vision. So I suggest to people that you have a vision for your life, a vision for your family, and that you operate under the rules of self-government. Well, self-government is what this country was founded, the princi- one of the principles this country was founded under. Mm-hmm. And what happens in a city when the power goes out and, and all the traffic lights go off? The traffic becomes self-organizing. Yep. All of a sudden, people start stopping, they look, and, and you see... And orders, uh, spontaneous orders start to take over mm-hmm. where they don't need that light to tell them when to go and when to stop. They, they look around and, and they're careful because they don't want to get their cars banged up and they don't want to hit anybody. They don't want to hit pedestrians. Who wants to hit a pedestrian unless you're really sick? 
My but, best driving experience in Nashville was when um, uh, during the the snow, you know, there were four inches that shut down the town. But anyway, I don't know if someone had hit a, a pole or something like that. But in any case, downtown Nashville, there were no streetlights. Um, and people were the most courteous and the most responsible uh, driving that, that I'd experienced in the three years that I lived there during that time. And um, simply because you exercised common sense, self-government, self-reliance, and courtesy. Have you seen the video that John Stossel did a few years back uh, at the ice skating rink? No. He did, he did a special, I think he was still with ABC at the time, but he did a special on spontaneous order. And what he did is he went to an ice skating rink, stood in the middle, and watched everybody go around and around and around. And you saw the self-organizing quality of the ice skating rink. And then what he did is he got on his megaphone and started ordering people what to do, where to go. And all of a sudden, people started chaos falling. Ensues. And chaotic, chaos ensued. Wow. And chaos ensued. As soon as he became the central planner of that, mm-hmm. of that ice skating rink, all hell broke loose. Yes, because it, you, self-doubt sets in. And you start questioning, you know, uh, like this. And I think when that happens, then that, you know, creates actual chaos, chaos in your head, chaos in in your decision making. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, that perpetuates itself. Yeah. You know, I'm teaching my son how to coach. I've been coaching my son now. And and so I'm trying to teach him how to coach, too. So he coaches his sister and, and try to reinforce that you don't want to give too many instructions at once first. Secondly, you want to keep them all positive. You want to tell them what you want to do simply, quickly, than say what not to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that works much better than, than uh, this whole ordering thing. Do this, do that, uh, hold the bat this way. It doesn't work. People right. just get confused and they get stressed out and they don't perform. Mm-hmm. And it's all, there's, there's so much psychology in, in that. But there's also, once you can motivate somebody to, to say to govern themselves, they, they do it. They do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Just like if you get your, your child to love whatever sport they play, they'll, they'll run hill sprints on their own. They're going to practice on their own. They're going to drag it down to the field to practice because they want to get better. They love, they love what they're doing. They love the sport. So, yeah. uh, I, because it's voluntary. No one's saying, putting any pressure on them to be good at a sport. They want to do it because they take pride in it and they love the sport. Mm-hmm. So th- I think that applies to so many other areas of life where... When you uh, do things on a consensual basis, when you find your own desire to learn something, you're going to learn it better and you're going to learn all the little nuances. You'll have internal motivators rather than external yes, motivators. exactly. Mm-hmm. The carrot and the stick thing for me, uh, when it's applied externally, mm-hmm. it has limited uh, ability to allow you to succeed. And to motivate you. And to motivate you. Because you're motivated from fear rather than love. Mm-hmm. And when people are, I think, when they're motivated from love... Uh, great things happen. Mm -hmm. And you look at some of the great scientific discoveries. Some of these people were in their labs for years and they just loved what they did and and they were, and they were persistent and they didn't give up. And and the light bulb, you know, Thomas says, how many times did he try the light bulb before he finally got it to work? Mm -hmm. You know, because they were dedicated and you can't force someone to be that dedicated. It has to come from within. Well, they tried doing that in in Germany and Russia, (laughs) you know, well, they've tried, but Mm -hmm. it never, ever, ever Mm -hmm. works. And and in the last few years, I think now that we're starting to head in the wrong direction in America and, and we have concern for our children that they live in a country that's uh, more free even than we grew up in, which was much freer. We thought we were pretty free back in the 70s and 80s. It was a time where there was a lot of freedom because after the Vietnam War, people lost their confidence in government and didn't trust government. And that was actually a healthy thing because we yeah. did have more freedom during that period. And I was fortunate enough to live and be a 
come of age during that period. Mm-hmm. But now we're swinging the other way. But see, I, I, I strongly believe, Michelle, you say I'm optimistic, but I strongly believe that this internet... No, you said you were optimistic. Yes, I do. I agree with you, though. Oh, you do? Good. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you agreed with me or not. But we'll talk more about that, about why I'm so optimistic when we come back. And this is Free Talk Live Sunday Edition with Wayne and Michelle. Love to hear from you. Again, the number, the Sunday night number is 603-435-1105. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Edition of Free Talk Live, where we discuss any old thing related to liberty and life. With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And we can reach us. We'd love to hear from you at 603-435-1105. That's the special Sunday Night Edition number. And we also encourage you to visit our website at freetalklive.com, where we've got lots of goodies for you to enjoy. We've got the Shrine of Female Listeners. I think you're on there, Michelle, right? I am. And we have the chat boards, the message boards, where you can discuss things with other listeners and and uh, friends of ours, and a host of other things. The webcam is there as well. Anything else? I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting, Michelle. Well, just the chat, you know? Yeah, people like that's to, right. Yeah. That's right. This chat room is up, and people, listeners chat during the show and talk about how bad we look on the camera or how good we <laughs> no, look or whatever. It's always a hoot too. Cause you can get, you can get conversations in there that are, you know, related to the show and people will discuss things and say, okay, you know, Michelle has her facts wrong <laughs> or whatever, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And then they'll have a discussion about that or they just go off on these tangents and, you know, you know, harsh on each other. And <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, you've been on the show now for what, about six months? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and you, you hear people start to evolve and change and grow being on the show and learning the little ins and outs of, of doing this kind of panel discussion type show and learning how to not, because uh, Ian and Mark have such a great chemistry together. That I know, I, but gosh, it's so hard for me when they start, you know, going at each other. Mark <laughs> is so aggressive and you should, I'm sitting, you know, in the third chair. So I'm looking at him from, you know, his, his, the right side and he's got this vein in his neck that oh boy. you get that, that gets enlarged and it starts to pulse and you know Ian maintains his calm and and um and you know they start going at each other and and then they'll get off and I'm like come on already and and Mark says oh you just can't handle it you know when we're being rough and and I said well gosh you know you're the one being rough and he says yeah well Ian gets mean <laughs> all that testosterone in one room is too much for you Michelle <laughs> well or something I mean they're like Two bulls, you know. Yeah, but you know they they do have a really great chemistry together. That's it's why fun. that's why they've grown the way they have. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that I didn't want to screw that up. I wanted to be able to be a little spice in there, you know. But there's so many times where we're talking about something and you feel like Horshack and Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! <laughs> that is funny. I never feel like Horshack. Well. I do inside. Because I know that if, if anything, you know, starts to go the way I don't want to, all I have to do is kind of like, you oh. know, like push out my 
chest or whatever. And, and like there's... Who looks com- first? Com- oh, Mark. Complete <laughs> oh. distraction. And then he, he pretends not to see. And then Ian laughs because he sees that Mark got, you know, flustered or whatever. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, working the feminine wiles. I figure if they're going to act like bulls, I can totally do the feminine wiles thing. It's, it's fair game. Yeah. It's on. So you're like a skunk with your estrogen. Huh? <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, it's a good type. Spraying. Yeah, I spray it all Thank over the place. You. No, skunks stink. They don't have a nice aroma. But they spray. Scent. They spray really <laughs> pervasively. Okay, I'm like, I I'm like a flower. How about that? A flower that opens and gives off its beautiful <laughs> scent and distracts the, the men. That's it. And they, they, uh, they withdraw. They, with, they retract their testosterone outbursts. It's, it's just for at that instant that, that, you know... Mark can calm down and everything, you know, yeah. and lose that uh, that edge. Mark Edge loses his edge. <laughs> well, they, they're fun to listen to. Yes, and, they are. And there's a lot of other ways to listen to the show, by the way. I have an Android phone, and there's uh, Zia Live begins with an X. It's an application that you can uh, uh, use on, on the Android platform to listen to Free Talk Live and LRN. And then on the iPhone, on the iOS platform, there's actually a, a Free Talk Live app that you can get. That, that streams oh, the show nifty. so you can listen to the show anytime so when i'm traveling sometimes i'll listen to you guys uh on my car through my car stereo i'm through my mm-hmm. phone and it, it's very enjoyable because i try to listen to the show as if i'm a listener who a you know, first-time listener mm-hmm. and and i must say that i over the years of listening to mark and Ian, that i feel they've grown they've you know they've gotten a little evolved older and they've evolved and, and they've yeah. You know, before, there, I think more often they used to say, well, I don't know about that. I'm just a stupid talk show host. But now they seem to be more authoritative about a wider range of subjects. And, right. and, and, and they've got some, I think they've got some good co-hosts here in New Hampshire as well. And they've had a wealth of experiences, too, to back up, you know, some of the things they say that they're, they're talking about. Like, for example, getting arrested and, and civil disobedience. And, um, you know, there are now over, I think there are 100 affiliates now. 101, I heard. Oh, really? Yeah. They must be doing something right. Yes. And I think the message of liberty, that the way they express it, mm-hmm. is, is actually very appealing. And, and I think it's growing in, in appeal because I think people are looking for answers and they're not getting it from the, the right-left Democrat versus Republican paradigm. Well, what are the right and left offering? They're offering war. Yeah, both doesn't offer matter war. if you're Republican or Democrat. We're going to stay in Afghanistan. We're going to stay in Iraq. Now we're going to go to Iran. Now we're going to go to uh, Pakistan. Mm. We're going to be imperialists that you know take over the world for democracy. You know, fighting for our freedoms. So, so that's that's what you have. If you're, it doesn't matter if you're voting right or left, and also you're either going to be in favor. You know, your representatives either going to be in favor of supporting corporations in big business or they're going to be um supporting the the un how do i say this diplomatically social programs you know? yeah yeah it's, either, co- either corporate welfare or social wel- welfare right right and, and it, it so it becomes really an argument between uh do you do you prefer stalin or do you prefer hitler absolutely. do you prefer corporatism or communism yeah and and that's the rhetoric but in reality it's it's really Corporatism, mm-hmm. even even Obama with his leftist kind of rhetoric all along, really, if, when you think about when you look what's there, it's corporatism. So yes, yeah, so I definitely appreciate Mark and Ian and Free Talk Live and and what it offers in terms of a another perspective and um, and sharing the ideas and principles of liberty with people is, you know, what keeps me coming back every week. And you sure do, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what else do you want to talk about over... Well, you know, you mentioned the tornadoes yes. and the weather. I mean, there have been, in the last year, we've seen two uh, volcano eruptions in, in uh, Iceland. And, of course, there's two earthquakes in the tsunami in Japan, which, oh my gosh, just devastated that... Um, Island. Chile had a big earthquake a while back, too, and some are looking at the whole so-called ring of fire in the Pacific mm-hmm. with Japan and, and the west coast of of, Cal, of the United States and, and South America yeah. and saying that area seems to be getting a little volatile, mm-hmm. and some think there may be a big quake in, in California coming at some point mm-hmm. because of all the seismic activity happening out right. there. Or even as, as far as Oregon, even, you know, sure. because that fault line runs along there. Um, and then and, the New Madrid Fault down south. That goes from the Gulf of Mexico up through the southern United States. Um, I think it goes up through part of Tennessee, Arkansas, through there. There, there's even been federal exercises to, uh, in case something happens, because they feel there may be an earthquake in that area, a major earthquake. There have Crazy. been big earthquakes in the past in that area, mm-hmm. and some even think the Gulf of Mexico is actually a, a crater from an asteroid. Oh wow! At one time. Well, so, you know, then um, there was the flood in, in Nashville last year that I was part of, but that wasn't actually, I mean, the, the just terrible rains, you know, um, helped create that. But then the, and then the tornadoes in the last couple uh, weeks or several weeks down in the South, over 300 people have died. It's been mm-hmm. the worst since 1953 or something. And then just the other day here in uh, New Hampshire and the New England area, well, Boston, and um, there was just kind of like this... Uh, area of red if you were to be looking at a um, a weather map and um, although I don't know that a tornado actually touched down anywhere here there were certainly all of the um, precluding indicators you know the the way the winds were and the rains I believe one uh, touched down last Wednesday in Massachusetts but and there was a warning up here I was actually in the area all day working Mm -hmm. in Keene and uh, the skies were kind of ominous looking there was a lot of humidity it it felt Yep. It felt like Texas that yep. day around here, and and I remember hearing a couple of warnings on the radio too, mm-hmm. because they felt there could be something happening. But I was in Texas one time with my brother, and a tornado came right through his neighborhood, mm-hmm. and it did it did touch down and do some damage. But I heard it; you could hear it. We were that close it's like to a it. Train whistle. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so if you ever hear that, just know you need to get. get it. If you have ditch. a basement, yeah, or, <laughs> yeah. or even a bathtub, if you wedge yourself in a bathtub. Mm-hmm can help if, if you don't have much time. But basement can be good to just get something covering you so that if the house falls down on you, usually they get sucked up and just pulled away and you end up with a, with a basement with you in it, mm-hmm. shaking <laughs> under a blanket or something. But there's varying opinions on what to do. And you never know because a, a, a tornado, hurricanes, they never hit the same way. Tornadoes are crazy too because they can touch down and your neighbor's house can be completely decimated and yours is untouched. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that's true. Same with earthquakes, because earthquakes kind of go in waves. In Southern California, you'll see areas that get hit badly and others that Mm -hmm. look like they're not touched as well. We'll talk more about that when we come back, because Michelle and I have to catch up. We've been, uh, you know, away for a month, and uh, we won't be kissing butt on Ian and Mark anymore (laughs) when we come back. So give us a call, 603-435-1105. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you run the show when you call in, if you like, 
and take control. And in control. this third hour, there will be no butt kissing, you said. No butt kissing. <laughs> this is the third hour. Welcome. And wow, it's going by so fast, Michelle. We've had a lot to catch up on because of this eventful month we've been in. And boy, it's just, it's dizzying. It seems like it's accelerating. Every time I say it's accelerating, it seems to accelerate more. <laughs> but, you know, there's a guy, have you ever read the website? It's it's called the uh, Daily Bell. It's out of Switzerland? No. It's it's kind of an Austrian economic slash libertarian kind of blog oh, cool. website. And it's uh, the guy who, who, I guess the chief editor there, his name is Anthony Weil, W-I-L-E. And he talks a lot about, she's writing it down, the Daily Bell, Michelle. <laughs> and and he talks a lot about the Internet Reformation. And and that's why I'm so so optimistic about the future, because, it, you know, back when the Gutenberg Press came out, it, it took the power of the church, the stranglehold of power away from the church, because suddenly the Catholic Church wasn't the final arbiter of what the Bible said, for example. And the people right. were able and the to Bible read the, was the first thing that they printed. Yeah, the mm-hmm. first thing they printed. And so people were able to read the Bible on their own and interpret it on their own rather than having to go through a priest Correct. or the church yep. to tell them what it, what it meant and what it said. So what we've got going on now is, is I think that, and I agree with Mr. Weil about this, is that I think 20 years, 30 years from now, we're going to look back on this period and call this the Internet Reformation because it's allowing information to flow throughout the world instantly and it's breaking down the, the power structures. And as the power structures right. lose their power, they, they cling even tighter to it. Well, there's for the first time in how long there's, uh, there's competition in, yeah. in uh, news. Yes. You know? There's competition in news dissemination. And because of that, people are, are actually realizing that there's more than two views to everything, mm-hmm. the right and the left. And there's also the liberty view and there's other views as well that are alternative there's there's even the hardcore um environmental movement view but getting all the different views is so important because i think you you have a better chance of making an informed decision when you hear everybody's views and i think the 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 fallacies the fallacious arguments get better exposed when there's more different arguments you expose yourself to Mm -hmm. but this internet reformation is a double-edged sword obviously because the internet on one hand is a is a very valuable data mining tool for the people in power and it allows them to monitor people like never before. But on the other hand, the information travels so quickly and people are becoming enlightened so quickly as a result of it that I just don't see how they can keep up. You mean the, the government? The powers that be, so to mm-hmm. speak, you know, who, who uh, uh, the people in power behind the scenes and in front of us that the purport to be our leaders. They, uh, a lot of them, are, you've, you've heard people in the Senate and the Congress over the last few years uh, say things that make you realize that they feel threatened by this, this free flow of information. But uh, in the long run, when enough people, a critical mass of people become awakened and realize um, that, that most of our problems are due to aggression and due to centralization of power, mm-hmm. when we can get away from those things, which you're starting to see with the Tea Party movement, good or bad, whatever faction you want to talk about, you're starting to see this more, and even the politicians now fear reprisal, political reprisal from people who are, are awakening and, and really demanding uh, more freedom and more decentralization. So when a critical mass of people become a, a enlightened or awakened to this, you, big, large changes happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be 100% of the people. Right. So we're seeing that, and I think we're reaching that. And if you look around the world right now with what's happening with all this, the political upheaval, there are people around the world that are just sick of this whole charade. You know, it's funny. Um, I received a, an email from a friend that I went to college with about 20 years ago um, who sent me something. 
he's in Texas and, and it was uh, something about the young woman who refused to cheer for her rapist. You know, she's a cheerleader and mm-hmm. she was, she was raped by uh, one of the ball players, and she refused to cheer for him. And I guess she's being fined $35,000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And um, I didn't read the whole article, but, but uh, we spoke about this, this young woman and whether or not she ought to be forced to cheer, get kicked off the squad because she refused to cheer or what have you um, several, several months ago. And um, it's interesting that he's just now, you know, kind of hearing about it, um, which, you know, on one hand, I, at first I was a little bit disgruntled, like, oh, gosh, dude, you're really, you're really behind. But on the other hand, I'm thrilled that the access is there for that information and um, and that it is speeding up and things. And and um, at the same time, you know, I was I was uh, feeding through other emails and Facebook posts and things like that. And I mentioned earlier the activists here in New Hampshire that were arrested in Manchester, Liberty on Tour guys, as well as um, well, Demo and Wes were both arrested. And um, I'm not sure who else was, um, but those two I know for sure. And um, I, from my understanding, there was someone who, who uh, had some facial, um, something broken, by the police, actually, and um, this was in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. just uh, yesterday, yesterday they did for uh, the violence, and I had I was a little behind the eight ball on that one because I happened to be following what was going on in Washington D.C. Uh, Ed Dickey had taken up the, um, you know, what Jason Talley and a couple friends started a couple years ago. What they had done is they'd uh, gone to the rotunda, the Jefferson Memorial, and in to celebrate him on his birthday at midnight when no one else was going to be around. They weren't going to be disturbing anyone. They used earbuds so that they, you know, there was no um, disturbance. Um, And uh, they danced and this young one was arrested. And a court ruling uh, a week ago Monday, um, a week ago last Monday, um, judge came out uh, basically claiming that there was to not be any dancing on memorials. And so Ed Dickey um, heard about this and had heard about it from Free Talk Live, actually. Did a little bit more research and he, you know, made a Facebook event, which love Facebook, you know, um, for this reason. It um, and just a handful of people showed up and uh, I guess one, two, either four or five people were arrested, including Ed and Adam Kokesh and, and uh, their friend, I believe Justin is his name. And then um, another gal and um, they were arrested for dancing. Now they weren't bothering anyone. I guess the only thing you could say is they're dancing even, you know, according to Adam stunk, (laughs) they're not good dancers. However, that's not a crime. And there were, there was no victim there. And certainly, you know, Thomas Jefferson, the, uh, you know, one of the founding fathers and strongest supporter of liberty of the founding fathers um, uh, enjoyed dancing. He supported that as a means of exercise. And um, I I think that he's probably rolling over in his grave right now at the idea that people are arrested at his at his memorial. He used to um, dance with some of his slave women, too, I heard. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think he just probably danced with women, period. But anyway, um, so so then what happened was... 
there were, I think, 13 or 16 countries and several uh, events within the United States that came out of this. So what had, you know, it started with one and then turned into five and then turned into hundreds and thousands of people saying no more. We're not going to stand for this police state. We're not going to stand for the police violence. And the police, you know, were right there uh, making people enter into the rotunda single file instead of going up the big steps there, you know, on the um, river. And and I think that's a river. How many people do you think showed up to that? that, uh... Several hundred. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And um, and then, you know, events kind of kind of carried on through until the evening, the reporting on it and everything. But, um, you know, people, they their coverage was worldwide. And at one point the live stream said that there were 900, there were 951 people watching the live stream, you know? And, um, and so the, when you consider the, and it forced the mainstream media to cover it, to cover it, Mm -hmm. Washington post, Fox, NBC, et cetera. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that, that we are getting to this, you know, you mentioned critical mass where more and more people are getting, fed up and so even though there are people that are you know still living in apathy there are enough people i think that are you know going to say no no more but we'll talk more about that in just a moment free talk live sunday edition 603-435-1105 join us Welcome back to the Sunday Night Edition of Free Talk Live, where you call in and let us know what's on your mind, and we argue with you. <laughs> no, we don't argue with you, do we, Michelle? Well, I've, I've tried to get better about, you know, not, not yelling at people and being mean to them. <laughs> I, in fact, I actually had to say to someone, uh, uh, I guess two weeks ago, I said, if, you would, if someone would please call and, and tell me why you think, of, think this crazy way of thinking i promise that i won't be mean <laughs> and someone called <laughs> oh yeah well, that's nice. you know yeah I, I i wouldn't consider you mean it Michelle. was well no but it was during the um i do get impatient with people uh because I, the irrational chain of thinking mm-hmm. you know is really well it's parroting is what it is mm-hmm. many times people just parrot what they hear from either their favorite political gang yeah. or from the uh people the talking heads on tv really reading teleprompters for a living what frustrates me more is people who think that there ought to be liberty for them from themselves, but not for anyone else. Yeah. Like the Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it was in the context that our conversation was in the context. It was, uh, <laughs> I was the token Christian on the show. Right. Yeah. And it was, um, it was the day before the world was supposed to end or, or, you know, the rapture oh, boy. or whatever. So you were the, you were the go-to oh, gal. Huh? I was. <laughs> and, you know, sadly there were several people that called in and claiming to be Christians, not a single person, um, you know, said the same thing. And, and that was a little frustrating to me. However, um, I would say that probably everyone believed in some fundamental things that, that are consistent, but, and this, this one, uh, this one man, um, dared to call in after I said, if you would please call in and tell me, um, why you think, uh, you know, the rapture is going to occur tomorrow. I promise not to make fun of you. And he called in and he made it so hard for me because (laughs) 
he insisted that the rapture is happening constantly. That I remember. I think yeah. I, I heard that show. Yeah, it has to do with, you know, the satellites and anytime you enter into the air because we're taken up, you know, when rapture means you're you're taken up to the air and that's where you meet with the Lord. And so if you commune with God because he's, you know, ever present or omnipresent and you go in the air, which means every time you fly and and uh, that was that was he exhausted my um, my patience there. But I get I get frustrated with people who are who are inconsistent and, you know, we're not perfect. And I claim to be right about nearly everything until someone proves me wrong. And then I enjoy saying, oh, I stand corrected, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah, I've not, heard you say that before. Yeah, I'm not afraid to say that. Good for you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. You have to keep an open mind. And, you know, whatever opinions you hold, if they if they really carry any water, they, they you can defend them. Absolutely. You know, and there's times where there's been many times in my life where I, I felt like, for example, intellectual property. There was a time when I believed it because it was your property, it was your creation. Yeah. And but then I've heard some very, very good arguments against it. I'm right it. there with you. Yeah. And and now I'm at a point where I think, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. There'd be more innovation without all the, these these um, these monopolies on ideas. I people. think, yeah, but the, what, where you and I probably were getting hung up on, at least I was was fraud. And Ian has been, you know, very instrumental in helping me kind of navigate my way through some issues that I've had, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and that's one of them that, you know, if someone, for example, were to take my manuscript and pawn it off as their own, that's fraud. Yeah. It's not intellectual property issue. It's fraud, you know? And, um, so so, you know, and we're, we're absolutely against fraud and think that there ought to be remedy in the event that someone defrauds you. A lot, a lot of inventions, people get patents on them and then they, what happens is they, they get bought out and then that patent or that whole idea gets buried because whoever bought the patent doesn't want it out there because it prevents competition. Yes. Or it would represent competition with maybe their product or something. So even if you were going to have some kind of registration system, where you could establish the, the inventor of record, so to speak, mm-hmm. of something. Then maybe what you do is you say, okay, that inventor has to be paid a certain royalty. No matter, anybody can use it. Mm. So for the, for a, I guess I thought about this as a compromise because I don't think people can get their mind around the fact that we shouldn't have any intellectual property at all. So I thought maybe can we scale it back to some sort of inventor of record type thing where any, it's out there, anybody can use it anytime. But if you would use it, this is the person who invented it, and we like to compensate them for their hard work. Mm-hmm. So that's just my idea. But but again, uh, the arguments I've read regarding intellectual property and patents and, and, and those things uh, make a lot of sense once they've been spelled out and articulated in a way that, that, that people can really relate to. But a lot of IP is just not very efficient. No, you it is like to be or not to be, that is the question. Okay, where do I pay Shakespeare? And is it in fact William Shakespeare, Shakespeare that wrote that? And how yeah. do we prove that? And and you know, can I say that? Can I not say that? You know, I mean, it's just it's not very efficient, quite frankly. And the pyramid, I mean, you know, so so are we not ever to replicate a, uh, a building that's in the shape of a pyramid? Well, pat, even in today's system, patents expire after X number of years, so that wouldn't even really be the case. After a certain number of years, it's public domain anyway, mm-hmm. even in the present system. But right now, to get a patent... But that's the difference, though, between talking about the system versus philosophical principles. Yes. You know? Sure. But, you know, right now, if you want to get a patent, you have to prove something is new, useful, and non-obvious. So a lot of patents are actually overturned on the non-obvious thing because people can go to court and say, well, anybody in the the field would have thought of that. I mean, it's it's obvious. Right. Right. So 
some patents are overthrown or overturned on that ground. But some of the industries that use patents most heavily, like pharmaceuticals, for example, use it as a bludgeon to prevent competition yes. and drive healthcare costs up, for example. So, uh, you know, I really have some real problems with the current structure of intellectual property, and, and I'd like to see more freedom in that area. And I still think people are going to invent because even if you invent something, in the, you're the first one to market with that invention, you're going to make a lot of money before anybody decides to compete with you on it. I don't know that you're going to make a lot of money necessarily. You could, potentially. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that there have been people that have invented things that, you know, before it came to fruition, mm-hmm. you know. They, or somebody improved upon it. Yeah, exactly. But um, but I still don't think that that's justification to uh, to guarantee intellectual property rights. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that it's a right. But uh, we've been all over the place tonight. We have. There's been so much I mean, to talk about. we are about. like, a, you know cornucopia of of <laughs> ideas <laughs> <laughs> economic principles and, and so on but yeah. th- that was just an example i wanted to give because because i think that you have to you know if you live by principle rather than by ideology you know you're more consistent and why don't you for the, our audience why don't you distinguish between principles and ideology because i think that that people get hung up on those words you know what i mean sure sure well if you look at the mainstream media and you look at the right versus left thing or religion versus non-religion or religion versus religion, a lot of people, their beliefs are shaped by their ideologies. And so they're not consistent. They're, they're, and they change over time because ideologies don't stay the same. That A Democrat today, for example, a Republican today, is different than 100 years ago and what they espouse. Right. Whereas principles are, they don't change. The and principles they, of and non-aggression. They're, and they're universal. And they're universal. Mm-hmm. Of peace. Right. Yeah, I remember my dad saying, telling me um, back in the day, calling me a liberal. And I knew that that, I mean, he might as well tell me that I was, you know, pawn scum as much <laughs> as he hated liberals. Right. But, you know, we had to have a sit down and distinguish between a liberal and a classical liberal. Sure. And I am, in fact, a classical liberal. I would say you probably are, Michelle. <laughs> and you like that. I'm not a liberal. I ain't no panko. <laughs> no, ma'am, you're not. We'll be right back. Sunday Night Edition, Free Talk Live. Give us a call. Welcome back to Free Talk Live Sunday Edition. With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle and I have been talking about a plethora of subjects tonight. <laughs> a plethora. We've been, uh, we haven't, you know, we get together once a month and do the show together, the first Sunday of the month, and we like to gab a lot. <laughs> yes, we do. And we have some interesting callers who come in, call in from time to time, and we, we try to keep a little show prep just in case, but we have a caller right now, so this is Curtis from Manchester. Let's say hello. Is it Curtis or Kurt? I think he, actually, I think he did say Kurt. You're right. Okay. Hi, Kurt. It's Wayne and Michelle, Free Talk Live. Yeah, I'm glad you got that right. Yes, Kurt. Okay. Uh, I just, uh, every time the whole whole Thomas Jefferson playing with his slate comes up, I I have to remember that that subject has been in argument since the election of 1800. It it actually was tried to be used by the Federalists against him in that election. Mm -hmm. Uh, Turns out that uh, his brother's the one that enjoyed... um, uh, as it were, partying all night. And uh, what the genetic tests have concluded is that someone in his family 
enjoyed the time with someone from her family, and the descendants show it, mm. but not that Tom, Tom specifically was the one. Well, I don't know that we were talking about him um, parting and and dilly dallying, but rather well, I we were talking. I, I was talking about dancing. Mm. <laughs> I mean, well, actually, I mentioned it, Michelle. Dirty dancing. I mentioned the fact that there's been rumors, so to speak, that that oh, Thomas Jefferson. To I alluded him to him maybe maybe having some fun I with the slaves because it's, it's been stated. And but at the same time, I don't think I think I took that you Kurt literally, is, that he was I, dancing. <laughs> but I think Kurt is right though that that I think that maybe sometimes this, there, there are opponents. And besmirchers of the founding fathers who say bring up things like that sometimes when it may or may not be true. We don't know. We weren't there, and there's a lot of conflicting accounts. So yeah. I should be more fair about oh, that. Certainly. So certainly, there are a lot of conflicting accounts. I, I read a wonderful. Um, I want to say documentary, but that's not the right word. What is it when someone writes about a life? Biography. There you go. Okay. Well, the if word. they write their own, it's an autobiography. Right. And if somebody else writes it, <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a biography. Uh, no, no question that Thomas Jefferson certainly knew he was good, but I don't think he thought he was that good. Uh, unlike Franklin, who seems to have written at least two. Anyway, he, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's called Thomas Jefferson, A Life. Mm. And it's one of those really long, like thousand page books, but it goes year by year, event by event through the whole thing. And if he was dallying with the help, then he, it certainly didn't show in his actions, because mm-hmm. his actions were to fall in love while he was in France with some English babe who was married to somebody else at the time. Mm. So, yeah, it, just, Do you remember, it doesn't fit the pattern. Do you remember the, um, the, I don't remember if it was a made-for-television show or not, with Nick Nolte playing Thomas Jefferson? Does that ring a bell? Oh, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, but, it was. Uh, I mean, it, I, it was back. I think like in the '80s or early '90s or something. But I just, I think it was a like a you know one of those mini TV miniseries kind of things. And and um, I seem yeah. to recall that he had a, a French lover who was, um, who was, you know, uh, not Creole, but um, like uh, cafe au lait, you know, half black, oh. half white, or something like that. In in the, ru- the rumors have been around. The rumors have been around as long as there have been rumors. I mean, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk politics here. Right. The, uh, if you want, if you want dirty pool, the election of eighteen hundred was was worse than anything in modern times. Oh, I think reason, t- tell reason me about that. YouTube. Well, reason has a thing on YouTube about what was written at the time, and what was written at the time was was actually really horrendous. There would be there would be licentiousness in the streets and and um, virgins being being hung up on flagpoles and things if Thomas Jefferson is elected, according to the Whigs, mm. be, be, being um, uh, John Adams' party. And it's it's very amusing and very it really was a truly hostile time in American history because of the Alien and Sedition Acts and Thomas Jefferson being vice president at the time. Mm. The whole uh, Kentucky, Virginia, Kentucky resolutions, right, mm-hmm. that supported states' rights and state nullif- and nullification of federal laws and all that were put out by Jefferson and Madison, but Jefferson couldn't put his name on it because he was vice president, vice president at the time. And having written that, it would have been a conflict between the uh, mm-hmm. his office duties and executive duties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, it was very soon after that, possibly even the election of 1800, where the rules changed from the, the person who got the most votes gets to be president, the person who gets the second number of votes gets to be vice president. Mm-hmm. They changed to being a ticket, where the VP and P are voted on at the same time. And not only that, but just the popular a- versus the electoral mm-hmm. voting Well, process. it's just to avoid this kind of conflict where mm-hmm. you get to a president and vice president from opposite parties. Yeah. And which they, which they, I think that that conflict would probably, if you if you know, within the current system, if that was if that was what you were trying to maintain, then then that might actually be be a good thing because it would well, make a bit times of a, have changed. Make, make a bit of a stalemate, though. You know, they would they would be precluded from uh, doing much of the damage that they do. You know, certainly. Um, Experience has shown that stalemate within the government is exactly the right thing to have. Yeah. <laughs> and the other problem is, is when they started electing senators through the popular vote, oh. rather than having the, the state reps, which they, who you vote for, appoint someone to go to Washington to represent that state right. in the Senate. Which Tom, Tom DiLorenzo was threatening to do a book a couple of years ago called The Revolution of 1913, and he didn't do it. But I wish he had, because in the 1913, you get the IRS, the Federal Reserve, 16th and 17th Amendments all at once. Mm-hmm. One big blob, which changed the whole country from being a federal with states with power to being a, a federal where the states are pretty much just um, administrative districts. And then it didn't take much time after that to have the Great Depression and... Well, World War I happened right after all that happened, too, which gave the people in power more discretion in, in, in creating war, too. It's the, I, I, I believe it's the engine by which the, the whole military-industrial complex and, and the war machine has been built on that. There's amazing control, amazing levels of control associated with World War I that are still with us. For instance, the two-by-four. The federal government came out with a rule that said the two-by-four shall not be measured less than one and three-quarters by three and three-quarters, or whatever it is, three and a half, three and a And that is the measure of a two-by-four to this day. Okay. You know what? I thank you for clarifying that, because I have actually, you know, had problems understanding why it's called a two-by-four when, in fact, it's not two-by-four. <laughs> I mean, like, those are the kinds of things that keep me up at night, you know? Yeah, I just cut a few of those one, this morning. One of my goals. <laughs> One of my life goals is actually to be a, a co-host on Free Talk Live. I hate to say this, but it's true. Why would you hate to say but that? Anyway. Where are you in New Hampshire? Well, well you're in New Hampshire as a full-time resident. Yeah, I moved a month and a half ago. Where'd you move from? Uh, North Carolina. You know there are dump, there of- are so many people that have moved up here from North Carolina. It's amazing. Yeah, when you see Sovereign Curtis, I introduced myself to him up in uh, Porkfest last year. Oh, did you? Another Kurt from yes. North Carolina. Wow. Yes, I actually introduced myself to you as well. I said, you're molting. Ah, I actually and remembered that. That is so funny. I had the feather boa. <laughs> yes. Wow, yes. Kurt. Yes. I'm not going to yes. Porkfest this year. So um, so you, so you, if there are any any molting uh, feather boa wearers, <laughs> it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be me. But you, you might find some yes, at, well, at the Buzz's Big Gay Dance Party. Oh, I imagine sure. so. That's always a flamboyant well, event. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be making it. Uh, I have been precluded from going to Portfest. Oh, dear. For various reasons. Yeah. Yes. Some, some of them are long and sorted and difficult, and I'd love to go into them, but it's kind of personal. Well, you know, um, it will be, uh, I am sure that uh, you stick around. Do you get down here to, um, to Keene very often? Not often, but I've been to Social Sunday. Oh, you have? Right on. Mm. 
Well, um, you know, yes. I think um, I think that uh, there are more and more activist opportunities here in Keene that'll be happening in the summer, and you should get on down here for like a, a 420 event or something and introduce yourself around. Yes, Kurt, and <laughs> well, thanks so much for calling, and we'd love to hear from you again very soon. Michelle and I are here the first Sunday of the month, so please call again. This is the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. Only moments remain. Give us a call. Welcome back. This is Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. Only moments remain. And you could be a caller and let us know what's on your mind. And we do have a caller, actually. So we'll take this unscreened. 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 We're getting daring, Michelle, aren't we? <laughs> Hello, you're live on Free Talk Live with Wayne and Michelle. Who's this and where are you from? This is uh, Matt from Illinois. Hey, how are you? You say Matt? Matt from Illinois. Yeah, yes, Matt from Illinois. Matt. How, are you doing? how have you been, Matt? I've been good. How are you guys? We're doing great. What would you like to talk about this evening? Uh, I just wanted to mention that I was looking forward to going to uh, Pork Fest this year, and I'm very sorry Michelle won't be there. <laughs> yes, well, you know, I've um, I've I've got some other things going on, but um, I'm sure it's going to be a great time, and uh, it's you know cause for celebration to get together with a bunch of liberty activists anytime. Yeah, I actually plan on showing up uh, on the 18th. Oh, right on. What day does that fall on offhand? Is that a Friday or Saturday? That's the Saturday. I would okay. leave here, so I would leave here on Friday morning because I'm coming all the way from Illinois. Are you going to uh, stay for the whole week? Drive down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to drive 1,100 miles and then just stay the weekend. Right. So you're going to come. Are you pulling into Keene and come? Uh, are you going to come hang out here for a couple days before heading up? Uh, no, I wasn't planning on it. I really don't have a place to stay in Keene. I just, uh, you know, going to go to the campground and uh, pitch my tent. And I'll be up there Saturday and Sunday. I figured other people would show up sure. on the oh, weekend, sure. too. Yeah. Well, you so, know, um, one of the things you can do is get on the forum and uh, free Keene forum and talk to people. Uh, and There might be other people that have the same thing in mind. I know that there are some uh, free staters here in Keene who, for example, are renting out rooms and couch space and, you know, backyard tent space or whatever in order to get yeah. people to, you know, become familiar. Because it's one thing to go to Pork Fest and be around a bunch of Liberty activists and, and do all that you do. And that's great. But there are communities here. There's the coastal community. There's Keene. There's Manchester. There's Free Grafton. There's these different areas where we're actually, you know, where those of us that have made the move here, we live and, and, uh, do our thing, and it's 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 different than than Pork Fest. Sure, it's you know a celebration of liberty all the time, but but we're working, <laughs> like we're working, getting arrested, we're working, um, you know, uh, trying to create communities here um, that are liberty minded. Now, I say that. Granite, the reason that New Hampshire was chosen, obviously, is because you know the live free or die state. The the Granite Staters, who I distinguish between free staters, people that have you know lived here, they're awesome. Totally mm-hmm. awesome. I have not met a single person who I didn't go, yay, so glad I live here. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a liberty-minded just, you know, community. And um, so I, I try to encourage people to, if they can get a chance, to come out and um, 
kind of meet other people within the areas that they live and where they're doing their thing. Now, are you planning on moving here, Matt? Uh, yeah, I'm planning on it, but I, I need to find a job. And, in fact, I was thinking about going on the forums. You know, it's funny because I used to go on um, back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, I used to go on BBSs yeah. uh, and, and talk to people that way and stuff like that. But when at the advent of the Internet, when, when you know, these became readily available to everybody, I, I stopped doing that. I'm really not one for that kind of thing, for the forums and stuff like that. So, and, you know, I really don't use Facebook all that much. I tried to friend uh, Michelle on Facebook, and she never friended me. So. Oh, yeah, I, you know, I like, I like Facebook and what it can do in terms of getting the word out and things, but um, it also can suck you in. And so I'm very embarrassed to say I have 400 friend requests. And that's a, uh, you know, that's, I, I'm sorry if I was, if you interpreted that as being rude, but, um, it requires a level of organization if you're going to utilize that, uh, effectively, you know, so on one hand I communicate because I live so far from where I grew up and, and where I went to school and things. I initially got on Facebook so that I could communicate with, you know, people I went to school with and check in and see how they were doing and have it be more efficient than, you know, letter writing or phone calling and things like that. And, and, um, suddenly, you know, I, my wall is flooded constantly, especially during election times with like Ron Paul, this Ron Paul, that we love the Jews. We hate the Palestinians. Da, 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 da. And so I get on there and I go, Oh gosh, please. No. So then I go and I check out Liberty on tour guys and like four or five different things. And then my, my friends from back home and then I get off there as fast as I can. So please, um, accept my apology. It was in no way. It's just, it's just sitting there in my friend request thing. And it can suck uh, a lot of your time when, if you get really too into Facebook and I don't partake in it at all for that reason, because I just don't have the time to maintain it properly. Right, you got to be real disciplined and 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 stuff. Uh, and have those and categories, that's, that's, you know. And I don't know. Right, <laughs> that's you know one of the reasons why um, why I don't use that kind of stuff anymore, and you know why I don't go on to the forums and things. I I could probably spend all day long if I started going on the forums, just doing right. nothing but but reading those and no, but like getting what you're, caught up in that. But doing, you know, since you know you're coming out here, it's just a really great um, a, a way to connect with people. And um, I mean, I'm sure that there are people coming from Illinois, for example, that you could carpool with or caravan with, and you could share the cost of fuel, et cetera, to minimize your expense. And, and in coming out here, um, you know, you might be able, if Rogers is charging you X amount of dollars to to camp there Saturday and Sunday uh, prior to Pork Fest, you could probably get that deal or better in the Keene area or somewhere else in someone's backyard. And then you'd be able to like go to karaoke on Saturday night. You go to social Sunday on Sunday and, um, you know, participate in, in networking a little bit yeah, and finding exactly. out who, where, who's hiring. What type of work do you do? Uh, I'm, I've spent most of my life in um, the vending industry, repairing uh, the validators, the dollar bill acceptors, and the um, uh, coin changers. Mm. I know, you know, electromechanical and uh, electronics quite well. I can uh, troubleshoot a 
a, a circuit board down to a component level. The, the problem with, with the knowledge that I have is that uh, time has passed it by, and now people don't need my kind of expertise because uh, circuit boards are, are just thrown away, and mm. they just replace the whole board. You know what? Email me, uh, because I, I do know a company that might be hiring. Actually, I knew two different companies here in New Hampshire, and I might be able to steer you towards them. You can send them a resume. Right on, Wayne, Wayne. Wayne at Free Talk Live. Yeah, Wayne at freetalklive.com. Okay, I, I will, uh, I'll shoot you an email and uh, and uh, see what you have to say. That sounds really cool. Thank you for that. No problem. It was good talking with you again, and please uh, call us next yeah, month as oh, Michelle and I catch up and <laughs> and uh, in, in our monthly conversation. One other, is, one other thing is is now, you know, I, I lost my job a couple years ago, so I've been trying to make a living as a writer. Mm. Um and I do have books out. I, I believe Michelle was telling me uh, a couple weeks ago that she writes uh, children's book mm-hmm. books. I did write a children's book a long time ago when I was a child, but now I write adult books. I write um, fantasy and uh, horror, mm-hmm. uh, one of which was advertised on Free Talk Live. Oh, right on. Which was, which was the, the weed years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that. Yeah, you know, Taryn Lupo has had some success with uh, his book that he and how he's marketed that. And then there's also Daryl Perry um, with Liberty Press. I believe it's right, right now with my with my um, with my uh, I have a book coming out, but my hands are tied because I, I have a publisher. Oh, so right. um, in a lot of ways, you know, I how do you write if I your hands do. are tied? <laughs> he dictates. He's got dictation software. What, if you're going to be around that weekend, I'll show you. <laughs> you're naughty. Oh, he is Thank naughty. Thank you for bringing some flavor. Yes, sir. Good talking sure. with you, Matt. You take care. Hope to meet okay. you soon. All righty. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye, Matt. Well, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice that we can, you know, bring some of that sass into the show, even though it's the last couple minutes. I know. I know. And, you know, you and I have this conversation every month, and, and we have a lot of fun, and we have a lot of great callers, and I'm really grateful yep. for that. And sitting in this seat once a month is uh, is rather challenging and fun, and and I just you I really have appreciate your grown so much. Like remember that first week that we did it? Yeah. Or no, that was the second week you dropped the collar. Yeah. <laughs> and another yeah, the... time, another time we had like the emergency lights going off, and I had to go <laughs> get Dale next door. Or something we're like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? If, it's amazing how if you forget to push one button, everything's blown. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so you, you know, I applaud you. You have really uh, come along and. And your intros and your outtake, you know, outros, outros. They're, yeah. they're improving, but it, still, there's plenty more work yeah. to be done. Right on. But show up on time next next month, will you? Yeah, it's gonna. Is it July fourth? It's close to it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll be thank you, time. thank you for listening, everyone. Good night.